some of these terms might sound cultural, and it is kind of funny. They are actually cultural terms, but it's intended to be a spiritual declaration to you for today. Hot Wheels, cool ride, out of sight. Now, I was there for Hot Wheels, and I was there for, wow, cool ride. Didn't much use out of sight. That was just a little bit before I could really own that one. So not so much. I was in on Dig, and I find that to be even pastorally very relevant because there will be a place dug from the earth for us if the Lord does not come and take us out before that shovel hits the dirt. But this is a time that cleverly we're going to see a process in which God brings his prophet up out of, if you would, his tenure on earth and welcomes him into heaven in an extraordinary act of sovereignty. And so you're familiar with Elijah and the chariot and the horses. You understand that there was a transitional move in which the one who had been following him in ministry would now assume the mantle of ministry. And that is very often the way we see the pages of Scripture unfold. They give us a historical account of what God has both initiated as a plan and when man subverts it or intends to be an obstacle in it, then God has another and another and another able to take up that mantle and, and move his will forward. So we look back on this, and that's a good thing to look back on. But the Lord would also like us to look forward to this. Because ultimately, when we go, as impressive as this account is on how one man went, there couldn't be anything more impressive than in the blink of the eye, or as Rivers shared with us, one billionth of a second, to be brought before the presence of God, extracted from this sin-soiled and stained earthly ball of dirt, and it's not disrespecting the planet. It's saying that men have done that to God, and we live in the consequence of that. But to be moved immediately into heaven to probably the chagrin, probably the exaltation of men left behind, but certainly to one who will come on the scene to explain our absence away, there couldn't be a more phenomenal extract of God's people. God's people are you and I, the bride of Christ. Men, women, children, the family of God, who in faith believe in the work of God through his son, Jesus, our Lord, the one whom we have been studying, the one whom even we in sovereignty look upon his touch in the lives of this nation. And so this is going to be, I think, exciting to see even what Elijah is doing, has done, 
and to be excited about what it means to be his protege, Elisha. As you recall that historically, these men are about 15 years apart. Elisha will be the younger of the two. One was born 900 B.C., the other 850 B.C. That's roughly where we're at on the timeline. As they've moved through ministry together, but not at the beginning together, they didn't start out together. Elisha was a younger man, and there was a time in which the Lord brought him into the closeness of a partnership with Elijah. But just so that you know, you can see the gray on my goatee, beard, and I've earned it because I'm older than I once was. If we're gray, we've earned it. It's there. Elijah may have been indeed gray-headed and gray-bearded, but his age in approximately this time of Scripture would have been about 47 years of age. We kind of have him booked out as an old geezer. I'm actually, to his age, an old geezer. So I want you to know that. This puts Elisha at about the age of 32 in this particular scenario. And so however long they're meeting has been, that's where it's probably just a little bit difficult, how many years. We could probably get very close to it. Their time together has been enriched in both what Elisha has learned in the management, the skill set necessary, the tenacity, the faithfulness, the dunamis, the power that God has given to Elijah. Things that we, for instance, really, if we look, can find in each other just depends on what you define as dynamite in your life. A comedian used to use that phrase with frequency, dynamite, and he was popular being known for that. But there's nothing that can compare even in using a term such as that to what God chose to do through men who were radical for him. Elijah would have been one to have indeed been feared, but he also, the scriptures would indicate, even in the last teaching, he was very aware of the fact that there was an enemy out to get him for the things that he would do for God. And the fear was probably genuine enough to where God would need to encourage him, especially in what we left off last, where a captain and some 20 to 50 military personnel came up to say, you're going to see the king. Well, if I'm a man of God, then uh, let's see what this fire from heaven may do. And that was the teaching last week. I get it crispy over the side of mercy. Because it was the third captain that just fell on his face and said, <laughs> please spare me, spare me and my men. The king has dispatched us. Nothing changed about the judgment that God was going to render to the king. 
the change happened in what this man learned of the need to be in fear of a holy God and a man of God who had the power of God. It's fortunate that you and I are not given that power to consume other men. We're given a different kind of power to love other men, to love other sisters, to love other children, to love our families. That's a powerful power, which the enemy knows very well, thwarts much of his intention. And so in this teaching right now, let's go ahead and see if we can see God through these two men and the experience that they are going to enjoy even in a transition. Now, this doesn't disregard sentiment. We'll see it. We'll see it in the pace that Elijah is taking, that Elisha is following behind him in the footsteps thereof. We're going to see it in a declaration that Elisha makes when in fact the reality of Elijah being taken from him happens. There is in spiritual life deep sentiment with also at the same time the necessity for greater conviction to move forward. Yesterday, just a brevity of perhaps dovetailing Micah with his siblings, four others, were overseeing the memorial of their mom, whom we knew, Debbie. And it was a, it was a fascinating, amazing memorial service. While that's happening where we drove into Grant's Pass, on the other end of the spectrum is celebration and men receiving the word of God as men in a cloistering probably of 600 to 800 men. They're just excited to both rub elbows with one another and to be exhorted in the word for faith. What's God have for you? What are you going to do? How are you going to be? Well, on the other spectrum, there were tears of sentiment and of sorrow. The extraordinary component to both of these is what God does in revealing himself to two different audiences. In the last minute, if you would, of the planning, gave Micah a call. He had asked if I had any opinions on how the service flowed. I said, it's your call. I trust you for it. I've been involved in beautifully long ones and at the same time very powerful short ones. And I said, but if you wanted one explanation of I think there ought to be a special song in that place of worshiping the Lord as you remember your mom. Do you have any ideas? Yeah. I love the John Foreman song, Your Love is Strong. Who'd sing it? Everest would be great. We've got a lot of good singers, but that'd be awesome. And then I just basically confirmed it. I said, Everest, I'd book you. Can you do it? <laughs> and not only did the booking happen, but Stephen got drafted in in the last minute too. And so these guys at the close of the service took on your love is strong. And it was a strong sharing. 
th- I don't even think we had more than five minutes to do a sound check. Am I right? It wasn't too long. Why am I using these things right now, proceedings? Because that was every bit as much of the power of God in this life moment as anything that we're reading about and the stuff that you're going through right now. So in chapter 2, it's simply called Elijah ascends to heaven and the Lord would say to us, be ready to ascend to heaven. Be ready. There are two areas that are our concern. It's for the one who has faith but who has given up on hope. Be ready for heaven. There is also within a scenario those who would say, I've heard about Jesus and I've had my ear tickled concerning the Jesus revolution. I'm kind of good where I'm at. Don't see any harm in waiting a little bit longer to make a decision, which apparently I need to make. Well, the Lord would say, be ready for heaven. And there's only one way that you get there. And it will not be in the fiery chariot, the fiery horses. That's a picture. It was intended for this audience at that time for one particular man, extraordinarily, who would literally pass from his elemental position as a human being to being a heavenly being brought right up. The requirement for us to be brought up is to have a saving relationship with Jesus that is guaranteed by his life being given for us on the cross and ratified by the Holy Spirit who then indwells in the confession of our mouth, affirming that we've believed in our heart and God has acknowledged you're righteous. Those are the people that you do not want to see in a scenario that was so blatantly inviting accept me so that I accept you into heaven don't be like the captain and the company that followed don't think it's because of your rank or who you're following that seems to be doing the king's earthly business you make sure you're doing the sovereign king's heavenly business by being in a relationship with him now and being empowered by him to make influential decisions got a lot of influential people in my life. They're on the screen. They're in the paper. We're talking about the most influential being, our Heavenly Father, our Lord and Savior, the spiritual holy work of God to reside in us. That's power. That's influence. It's our time. It came to pass, verse 1, When the Lord was about to take up Elijah into heaven by a whirlwind, that Elijah went with Elisha from Gilgal. What you're seeing right now is they're involved in a final pilgrimage together. They're visiting holy sites. Historically, places in which God had met the forefathers of their faith, those whom had been influential in the history of Israel. 
places that you and I become very enamored with, rightfully so, is so how did our nation get founded? So what actually goes on over on the East Coast? What is it about where they're at when they look our direction and consider what we've got? How is it that we're always in a transaction of movement? And for what reason are we in movement? And part of that is the fascination of touchstones, markers of both patriotism and spirituality. But it's not all spirituality. And patriotism only has a place historically for a moment before, like we would say, all nations have gone before us to a demise. Because rather than hearing this heed with regard to heaven, they say, bye-bye, God. We're going to do things our own way, and we'll do just fine without you if, in fact, there is even an account of you. And that generation, we've heard of it, the 60s, the terminology that was used, said God is dead. God proved himself alive in that revolution. God right now is going to prove himself alive and sovereign and powerful and judicial by what he's doing with these two men who are taking an historical spiritual walk together for a transition that has already been written on their hearts. We have limited time to make spiritual pilgrimages together, but I will tell you this. If you say, I haven't been back to Washington, D.C. That's okay. I have. I was born in Virginia. I saw it so much that whenever relatives and family were coming, my scrunched-up face and my brother as well, my twin, would tell my parents what we didn't want. It's Smithsonian. God, are you kidding me? White House? It's just the White House. Thomas Jefferson, Washington. That's our attitude. That's the attitude at times of people on the reciprocal, which is, how's your spiritual hunger? How's your desire to want to visit the things of God? Not necessarily from this place, but where is the place that God says, my word is being taught, worship is ascending, prayer is available, your life can be changed, you can be empowered. How about that pilgrimage that you could take maybe seven or eight miles away? They're going on a very sentimental walk together, but it's a powerful time of both commitment. Lord, I'm not ready. He didn't say it, but we can say it. I don't think I'm big enough to fill in your shoes. He didn't say it, but we could say it. This is that journey. Elijah said to Elisha, stay here, please. For the Lord has sent me on to Bethel, their historical place. Jacob discovered the presence of God in Bethel. Jacob was obviously a founding father. His name would be changed, not any longer a heel-snatching, conniving brother, but one who, in wrestling with God, would have his name changed to one governed by God from no longer being a human pauper but a princely spiritual man full of all of the things that we could say disqualified, disqualified, disqualified. Do you know that we're all disqualified? 
be in this place, which makes us qualified based on what Jesus did in his place, taking our place. That's why when we walk through the doors, it's one of the best sightseeing pilgrimages you could ever make to behold the beauty of the Lord in the sanctuary, to see the empowerment upon the faces of people you may not even know, get to know them. It's amazing. So he says, stay. I'm going to go on here. But Elisha said, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. So why did he say, don't come with me? Are there times in your life in which your faith is being tested by an objection? Of course there are. You've been tested as a child to see how much you could trust your mom or dad. That's exactly what's going on. And in many of the peripherals, both of our faith as well as our vocation, it's a, don't worry about it. You stay here. You're good where you're at. I'm fine. I know where I'm going. And, and that's really what's happening right now. There were times in which the disciples of the Lord were nudged, both in following him and also letting him go. And the Lord was continually refining them and testing them in acts of obedience. Get in the boat. Get in the boat. Why? Get in the boat. Will we see you again? In the boat. What is it that the Lord has told you to do, which is actually an opportunity for him to see your heart um, if you will do it? And this is really what Elijah is doing. Will you follow me? even when I say no, even when I raise an objection, an alternative, will you follow me? See, those objections, those changes of plans can be the very test that in saying, hmm, reasonable, or I was hoping you'd say that, on the other end, what if God was really just saying, I hope you follow me. I hope you stay close to me. I want you to follow with me. This is what's happening. They go to Bethel. Now the sons of the prophets who were at Bethel came out to Elijah or Elisha and said to him, Do you know that the Lord will take away your master from over you today? And then Elijah said to him, Elisha, stay here, please, for the Lord has sent me on to Jericho. But he said, As the Lord lives, and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. And so they came to Jericho. So there's a school. There's a Bible college happening. The emphasis is prophecy. Actually, the church emphasizes prophecy. It's a primary gift. Paul simply equates it as being one who can both exhort and edify and to comfort. If you've comforted someone... You've exercised in the primary gift of prophecy. You've exhorted someone, giving them an instruction with a fairly brisk encouragement to do so. That's the gift of prophecy. If you've comforted somebody in their lapse of faith, that is a 
gifting of prophecy. Men and women that move balanced in those three areas are the ones that you would say, wow, it was powerful both in what they said, how they dealt with me, their encouragement of me at a time in which I could not see beyond my predicament. And you've been encouraged that way. In fact, I will tell you that the ministry of song at times in which I wonder, did the word work? That's where I'm doubting myself. The worship did. Either in a chorus that came to your heart, a verse that you never saw would be voiced by God to your mouth, And it's a wonderful thing. The school of prophets right now would be true. They have received in what has been their primary gifting, the knowledge that Elijah is going away and Elisha is coming up. And in this prophecy, it would have probably stung Elisha's heart. I know that something's happening, and you don't have to blurt it out, or you don't have to create tension in my life by reminding me that a change is going to happen. And that can be true. Change is very hard for us, isn't it? When we, for instance, are guiding our children up the educational chain of knowledge well either homeschooled or public schooled it's always the next level oh yay what's the one that hits us the hardest should usually does when they graduate when all of a sudden the system says you're an adult now have a happy life and you're going wait i'm not ready for this there's strife I don't know if I can let go. You will if you are indeed exercising in faith in a primary gift of encouraging, of exhorting, of comforting your children to be adults, to walk behind you, exercising spiritual decisions empowered by God to have an influence and effect on their generation. We have to do it. We have to do it. When that happens, I can't necessarily say transitionally. I just know that the beginning of this passage said, if you can grab a hold of this, be ready for heaven. Everything else will be secondary, but preparatory to that word, be ready for heaven. As once was said to my father in my hearing with my brother and my mom, Elroy, Bill, put your estate in order. I heard that from a doctor because of inevitably heart failure. And our mouths just dropped. He was so truthful. My dad, like a Marine, just, okay. Dr. Dino. (laughs) All right, I'll do that. The Lord did a miraculous work on my dad. He came into agreement on what was his time to go. 
we prayed and the Lord saved him for an additional two or three years following that. Pretty cool. Was it wrong to pray, oh Lord, save my dad, touch him, make him better? It was a testimony simply of God saying, I was hoping you'd ask for that. I was hoping that you were so heavenly minded, you would ask that if he might influence you one, two, three, five years longer, that I would be willing to do that. At 79 is when he did ultimately have his passage into heaven. Good life, strong life. Elisha right now is demonstrating the attitude of being gratefully a part of Elijah's ministry. And he at the same time is both having his arm out with regard to this next generation up. They are correctly prophesying, but they probably are carelessly doing so. We have to be careful when the gifts and the empowerment of God are upon us because at times we can be overwhelmed to be lacking sensitivity to others that are involved in it. I've been sensitively prophesied over, I believe in the same context, I have both been sensitively able to prophesy as well. It's no big deal. This is not a mystery. It's simply saying, okay, Lord, I'll comfort them. Okay, Lord, I'll exhort them. Okay, Lord, I will give them a pat on the back. I will cite the reasons. I will declare the sentiment. I will tell them that in where they're at, it's about heaven. And so these young sons, these prophets, and very likely the Bible school that Elijah and Elisha are teaching at, they meet these two men and Elijah goes, we must be heading on. And so it moves him into this. Elisha, stay here. And Elisha says, not going to do it. I'm sticking close to you. The sons of the prophets who were at Jericho came to Elisha. This is school, college number two. And said to him, do you know that the Lord will take away your master from over you today? So he answered, Yes, I know. Keep silent. When do you speak and when do you not speak? Really just depends, I think, on both maturity and the conviction that you have. This is what the Lord desires me to share. How do you share? In this case, Elisha is being provoked sentimentally. I'm aware of it. He had no reason to doubt that he was not ever more aware of it than they could possibly have been. But he's not denying that they are in the know. And so we need to be those who as well, when we hear the word, when we hear even that which seemingly has been carelessly delivered, don't take it to heart. Keep your heart tuned up. Heaven is what God is about in the dealings that he has and the things that we hear from the mouths of those who, like us, are reading our Bibles, we're making our pilgrimage to the house of the Lord, 
we're rubbing shoulders and shaking hands and hugging other believers. We empty ourselves to serve needs, but we don't do more than what God has asked us to do, for we are not God. It's about heaven. How does God want me to do this now? And so Elijah says in verse 6, Stay here, please, for the Lord has sent me on to the Jordan. But he said, As the Lord lives, as your soul lives, I will not leave you. So the two of them went on. The Jordan is speaking in this particular pilgrimage of what would have been the crossing of the children of Israel coming into the promised land and for you and I as believers, the spiritual life that God has both provided and gives us through regeneration, the Spirit of God coming upon us. It's interesting that there are people who sit within a church who do not understand that there is a baptism of the Holy Spirit, but there is also a baptism in water. Some would say you can't have a baptism by the Holy Spirit unless you've been baptized in water. I disagree. Baptism in water is an opportunity in which the work of God already in your heart is going to go in public display in what you're willing to do. But in order for that thief on the cross to hear the words that this day you shall be with me in paradise, he was no less baptized in the Spirit to hear that from the Lord himself and he had no opportunity with his hands pinned to the cross to be able to put his body underwater. And so this is going back to that river that was historically crossed and for them right now spiritually needed to be crossed one more time again. In it, as the crossing would have taken place, literally, seemingly emulating or impersonating in this work of God what Moses would be doing at the Red Sea. That was a delivering crossing, miraculously imposed on the sea itself, in which it piled itself on either side, and the Israeli people were able to cross throughout the night, some three million of them. It was extraordinary. Two men, two prophets, are now going to the place of the Jordan. And in a way that magnifies that work of deliverance through Moses to the children of Israel, this will magnify for those who perhaps are in the peripheral looking what it is for you and I as people look in on our life. They've crossed the Jordan. I've been satisfied with the Dead Sea. But those guys have crossed the Jordan. There's something different about them. There's a hope that's not in me, that is in them. It's not simply what they left behind and what they've come out of. It's that they've entered in to a relationship with God that is powerful, undeniable, sensitive, life-changing. And so this is their third visitation. 
Fifty men of the sons of the prophets went and stood facing them at a distance. These are the onlookers. These are the ones that are spiritual. They're trying to take a look and evaluate what's going on here. We know the Lord's going to do something. Let's see if we can see what it is that the Lord is going to do. And so from a distance, the two of them stood by the Jordan. People are looking at you from a distance. They know there's something different about you. They're not willing to come out with you. They're going to stand in the distance to catch an eye, to catch an event. And Elijah took his mantle, rolled it up, and struck the water, and it was divided this way and that, so that the two of them crossed over, and it says on dry land, not too dry land, it lapped up and piled itself on each side. They weren't getting their feet wet. So what's the difference? And if that's an attribute or a picture of baptism, then what is this? It means there's what we would say no consequence to that particular next step. Consequence? Got out of the car last night. Our driveway split. In this split, for whatever reason, our driveway is split. It trenches. It trenches and it holds water. It holds enough water that if I'm wrong in how I get out of the car, my shoe is baptized, which then leads to soggy sock and irritability on my part. I did it four times. And all I was doing was helping get the car out. And every time I did it, I said, I'm not going to do that again. Splash. Oh, my word. And I'm in these shoes. And if you look carefully, which you you have permission to do, one of them is rather mucky. It's got mud on it. I'm going, how did I get here and not see that and clean up my act? Because just like you, maybe you didn't have time to clean up your act, but we didn't come here simply to clean up our act. We came in to be cleansed by the word and to say, it's not a consequence. It's a blessing. I'm crossing over. I'm moving into this. And so this is an extraordinary visual experience that's being seen by these 50 collegiates. And they're going, wow, we've been sitting under some awesome tutelage. Sure wish I hadn't have fired that spitball. Sure wish I hadn't been pulling on that robe, that hair, whatever it is. Whatever distracts people from understanding the core message of what God is saying. Be ready for heaven. Whatever you're doing, get serious. Be ready. And so when they had crossed over, that Elijah said to Elisha, ask what you may, uh, ask what may I do for, ask <laughs> what may I do for you before I am taken away from you, Elisha said, please. Let a double portion of your spirit be upon me. And so he said, you have asked a hard thing. Nevertheless, if you are, if you see me when I am taken from you, it shall be so for you. But if not, it shall not be so. What is too hard to ask? We've looked at this before. What is too hard to ask right now of God for you? And God says, not only can you ask, but you now must be awake to see it. 
if it is indeed what you are requesting, which is a hard thing, easy for God, it's a hard thing, though, if the requirement is you believe to see, not you have to see to believe. That's the difference. We come in here and we are subject to the Lord and our faith gets exercised in believing before we see. God doesn't have time. He will be generous, and I do believe that, if you must, to see in order to believe. But that isn't faith building. And so this word goes to Elisha, saying, you've stayed close. I haven't been able to dismiss you three times now. But that request is dependent upon you not going to sleep, or it's not going to happen. You have to stay focused Elisha is what he's saying. And it happened as they continued on and talked that suddenly a chariot of fire appeared with horses of fire and separated the two of them. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. Verse 12, sentiment. Then Elisha saw it and he cried out, My father! My father, the chariot of Israel and its horsemen. And so he saw him no more. And he took hold of his own clothes and tore them into two pieces. And so this is the sentiment of a man who, having walked with his friend, even as Jesus would call his disciples his friends, overwhelmed by the absence, convinced that now he is on his own to be exercised, because he saw it, precisely in the manner and means by which he saw Elijah being exercised, all of the challenges that he would face, all the fear that could be imposed upon him by enemy nations, all of the potential of the miraculous that would be at his disposal according to the sovereign desires of God. Not before, not after, precisely when God wanted to perform something through him for the evidence of people that needed exhortation, needed edification, needed comfort, hope for their generation, their trials and their challenges. He's crying out. He calls basically this man 15 years his senior father figure. If you're a father figure to somebody, literally we are fathers in marriages, but you are a father figure in the faith to someone. And the reason that I know that, and surprisingly to me, is even in yesterday's time to be with Micah and the family, there were people that would come up to me and with sentiment would say, I saw you back in 1990. As soon as I started to hear numbers, I said 1993, September. Because I remember it well. Yes, you, you played at Applegate. I know, and I know the two songs that I played. Yes, and they were life changing. I know. They were life changing to me too. I'd never played that many people before. I was called out of Mexico. Yes, you were called out of Mexico. You were wearing, I know what I was wearing, shorts, sandals. 
church, and I was on a scooter, and a bandana. It was so awesome. It's past, but it was awesome. <laughs> we're doing other things now because we were looking at each other, and we'd aged. He was grayer. I was definitely gray. wasn't back then. In sentiment, he says, Father, Father. He rips his clothes. It's a sign of both sentiment and sorrow, spirituality humbling himself, and also tenacity. This is where I'm at, but I have to press on. And he took up the mantle, it says, of Elijah that had fallen from him. struck the water and said, where is the Lord God of Elijah? And when he had struck the water, it was divided this way and that precisely in the manner by which Elijah expected the very same results. It turned out the same going in the next direction and Elisha crossed over. And so we're going to conclude there. And Elisha crossed over. Tell your friends, tell your heart, I must cross over. I cannot simply stand in the position that I have been left in. Highly sentimental, definitely spiritual, certainly vocational. It is about heaven what I must do and how I must do it. And it is not trying to reinvent it. Notice it was the same thing. What he saw his father in the faith do, he did himself. When you pass on oral tradition, when you pass on doctrines and precepts, when you behave as the disciples behave, when you follow the word in the New Testament, which are the principles that are pictured in the Old Testament, you stand a really good chance of being highly influential on the behalf of the Lord himself where you get to hear, you have been faithful, enter in. You're a good and faithful servant, enter in to the joy of thy salvation what I've given to you. It's about heaven. And so never allow there to be from those who are trying to look in, but they're not willing to step forward, condescension that you believe when it comes to dismissing the potency and the necessity of the church in these times, in these days. No matter how small or how large we all have a purpose, and this is as large as you believe, or it's as small as you choose to contribute. But God is the sovereign over everything that's done. And the reason that we're here and the giftings that you have. We're going to do this. The worship band's going to come up. We take that opportunity to pass out the tithes and offerings, which will be prayed for. That's an important act 
of worshiping God and what he chooses to do with a place such as this that we're in and obedience to that purpose, stewardship. We have the joy of being able to celebrate, again, this teaching from the word and our Savior who really is cheering us on. He is the great prophet. He knows how to pat you on the back. He knows how to give you that coach's counsel. He knows how to give you a big bear hug or a delicate squeeze. He's that good. Brothers can come forward. Let's go ahead and pray. Lord, we ask for your blessings and we thank you and we do commit this time to you. Let us just raise our voices as an anthem to you. Whatever tempo it is, whatever, Lord, it is meant to bring to our mind everything that is both grand and awesome in you, we, we sing you with all of our heart. And in Jesus' name we pray, amen.